Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we help you discover innovative startups in the outdoor sport industry. Join us as we tell the story of brands who are paving the way for the future of outdoor sports. And here's your host, Josh Salvo. Hey, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to shine the spotlight on our membership program. With it, you can get up to 50% off our brands, discover dozens of new innovative outdoor startups, receive first access to new products, gain access to ambassador programs for over 50 of our startups, and receive first access to purchase demo and trade show gear at 30 to 60% off. Head to readyyeti.com slash members to sign up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Red Yeti Podcast, episode number three. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down and chatting with Chris Loyal, the founder of Hummingbird Hammocks. If you're not already familiar with Hummingbird, they make the lightest pack hammocks on the market, coming in at 5.2 ounces or 147 grams. It's pretty damn light. They also make recreational and double hammocks, all of which are made completely in the USA. I'm super excited to be able to chat with Chris, and with that, we'll get right into it. So we're here today with Chris Loyal, the founder of Hummingbird Hammocks. Uh, they make ultralight hammocks, uh, actually offering the lightest hammock on the market today. So um, we got the pleasure of sitting down with Chris and finding out more about his company and him and how they got started. Um, so Chris, I wanted to thank you for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So tell me, how did you get started? Where did Hummingbird come from? You know, walk us through the sort of story behind it. So uh, about, I guess, a little over three and a half years ago now, um, I had a, we'll just say a competitor's hammock um, that I used on a regular basis for several years, and it ended up ripping for one reason or another. So um, I needed a new one. So I had at the time a parachute rigging loft. That was how I used to make a living was fixing building parachutes. Um, so I took the materials I had around me as well as the construction methods I knew for parachutes themselves and built myself a hammock. And um, at that point, it just kind of was a little bit of luck. It ended up being the smallest packing and lightest hammock by a fair margin on the market. And that was even with our first prototype, which was uh, 6.25 ounces, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so then we decided to just kind of run with it. I uh, figured there was, um, there's a reason to uh, make the lightest hammock in the world. So we started our little Kickstarter and uh, built the mega hammock just kind of as a fun little side project too. And uh, yeah, that was, that was the start of it all. That's that really awesome. So tell me, you know, what, you're giving me a little bit more background. You know, before you started building hammocks, I know you were you're you were a skydiver. You know, how how did you sort of transition into you know, I guess hammocks? Uh, yeah. So I went from being a professional skydiving instructor, coach, parachute rigger, as well as in my free time, I did a lot of paragliding, base jumping, uh, some scuba diving on the side, um, and I was also um, designing paragliders and parachutes, um, which was kind of more of a fun project. None of that really made any money, but it was fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, I went from all of that to, it was kind of a, I still did all that through the Kickstarter, uh, and I was still rigging for a little while afterwards. 
And then all the drop zones in the state um, started getting shut down for various reasons. Usually it was zoning re- reasons on the landing areas. Um, right. So then I started looking more seriously into Hummingbird Hammocks and turning it into a full-fledged company rather than just kind of like a side burner project it was during the Kickstarter. And uh, then I began the long and occasionally painful but ultimately very rewarding transition to uh, owning an actual company and operating it on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Running a business is always fun. So tell me, how many jumps? You, you're, you were a pretty big sky. Do you still skydive, I assume? Uh, I haven't been able to pretty much since I started Hummingbird full-time, unfortunately. Um, the other side of it, too, is it's kind of hard to justify the expense when I uh, used to get paid to do it, and it's really expensive to do if you don't get paid to do it. Oh, yeah, so, that's true. Um, but I did uh, ultimately get up to about 550-ish jumps somewhere around in there. Damn, that's awesome. I, I've been trying to go myself. I, I've got it on my bucket list this year, but it sort of still scares the shit out of me, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, I think you'll find it's not as bad as you're expecting. It's a lot easier. Yeah, yeah everyone tells me the worst part of it is the flight up. <laughs> Once you yes. do it, it's like kind of like the greatest experience ever. Yeah. Um, Actually, that's not true. The worst part is when they open the door for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. I that's when it gets yeah. real. <laughs> when did you when did you first uh, jump? When was the first time you ever went skydiving? My first jump was a graduation present from high school. I was uh, eighteen. You have to be eighteen. Uh, I don't know. I guess probably a month after I graduated, somewhere around then. And how old are you now? I'm twenty three. Twenty three. So it hasn't. So in five years, less than five years, you've accumulated over five hundred jumps. That's all. That's that's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I was busy that first couple of years, for sure. I bet, I bet. So what, you you got you had to go through your whole process of getting certified, right? So I assume that's how it took some time and money getting yeah. pretty involved, right? Yeah, that's, that's a awesome. very expensive uh, journey there to become a professional skydiver. I don't know if I ever really broke even, but uh, <laughs> I was. I'm sure you've got some cool stories. <laughs> that's awesome. So. Going back to Hummingbird, how did you develop your product? You know, I know you sort of told you, you sort of told like briefly, you know, you used a lot of the materials from skydiving, but really what went into the full on testing of the product? How many iterations and prototypes did you guys go through before it was really what you guys have today? Sure. Uh the first one I ended up using myself for uh probably four or five months as my I guess daily driver. Um, leading up to the Kickstarter. And uh, that one was the, we still had the seam tape in the edges, which is like a radial seam tape from rigging. It's a three-eighths inch cross grain webbing, um, basically. We don't call it that, but. um, And the same fabric, and we were using a a tied loop on the ends, which uh, the same soft carabiners that we had on our first kind of two versions, um, which was the double loop style uh, that we got rid of. When was that? Like the third version is when we got rid of that. Um, And then, so that one was actually uh, the same one that went out to all the Kickstarter ones, and those were all sewn by hand by me, uh, which was way more work than I anticipated. (laughs) (laughs) 
and then after the Kickstarter, uh, we kind of went dark for a little bit. Um, that was when I was doing that transition from being a skydiving professional to running Hummingbird. And then, uh, let's see, when, what was, the next step was we took the, we started to look at it um, as a ultralight product and not just as a hammock made of parachute material, which is what I like best about it and occasionally right. uh, still my favorite part of it. Um, <laughs> and we started to sort of strip it back. So we thought about why we needed steam tape on the edges, decided we didn't need it. There's no reason to. It's not um, necessary in any way. So we took that out and we turned that into a quarter inch seam along the edges. Um, and then that one ran for just a little while. This was all kind of at the same time as we were figuring out our production on a um, sort of full scale. So we went through a lot of different manufacturers during this time. And kind of as we moved between them, we learned things about how to make things correctly and fast and cheaply um, from a labor standpoint, and uh, as well as just kind of refining the product. Uh, and this is all relating to the single hammock because we haven't yet branched out into the other versions yet. And then uh, then we started to see some issues with, um, and mind you, this is only like, I think five or seven reported cases of the tied loop being tied incorrectly, and then it would eventually slip loose. And the okay. problem with that was we used a double fisherman's knot on that. And it looks, it works perfect when it's tied correctly, but it looks almost the same when it's tied incorrectly. So it's so, really hard to spot check. Right. So that's when we switched to the Lark's head style and loop that we have um, now. And even similarly to our newest end loops, um, they use the same loop through and then Lark's head around the fabric itself. And what's really great about that, and that's another trick that we took from, well, I took at least from rigging. I'm, they use it all over the world for other stuff too. But when you use a Lark's head like that around fabric, especially or around a thicker object, it puts all of the load around that knot itself. And mm -hmm. because we have that loop of fabric that's sewn into the loop on the end of the hammock, it pinches around that loop and it actually takes almost all of the strength off of that stitching because it's pinching that fabric so hard that the stitching you could, and I've done it on a couple of hammocks, if someone's sitting in the hammock already, you can go through and you can unpick the seam on the end and they'll stay in it because there's almost wow. nothing on that seam. So that was great. Um, from both a quality control standpoint, we could easily see what was wrong and if it was wrong, as well as from a um, just reliability and strength standpoint. Um, cool. And then... At the same time, we kind of switched from that double loop soft link system to the single loop because it just was unnecessary. And then uh, you haven't gotten your sample hammock yet, but our new ones that we're really excited about have, uh, instead of the soft link, the end loop is built into the link now, and it has a little okay. custom designed 3D printed button that we print here in-house, and it cool. goes uh, basically just a little spectral loop. The button goes through the loop, and that acts as your link instead of the whole complicated soft link system. We're really oh, excited. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah. yeah no, I'm, re I'm really excited <laughs> to give it a try when, when we get it. I'm, it. It looks awesome. I'm, <laughs> I've got a few <laughs> buddies who, who love hammocks, and they're like, can, can we please be a part of the review? And I was like, maybe, maybe. <laughs> 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 Depends who's buying me dinner. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah, we're really excited about that. That's um, we're actually even taking the diagrams on how to use it off of the bags on the new ones because the new system is so dead simple and easy and quick that it's unnecessary. If you've ever buttoned your pants, you know how to use it. So that's really awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. So that's pretty you much where we're at with those. <laughs> that's great. So you've had a ton of it. How much time would you say you spend sort of improving um, the products? It seems like you've gone through a ton of iterations. Um, I don't. We don't normally just sit down and like. Uh, I guess have like a improvement session. It's usually over a little bit of time we think about the things that start to annoy us a little bit as we use them and pack mm-hmm. them all the time and that kind of right. stuff. And then once we figure out we have a problem, like we ran into with the old soft links, they work well and easy when they're new and that webbing, little black webbing piece is new. It's easy to fit through the loop. But once you start to use it, you know, 20, 50 times, it starts to get loose and kind of soft. And then it's really hard to get through that loop. So then we looked at it as how can we fix this problem? Then we were like, well, if we're going to fix this problem, we might as well redesign the whole thing. So that's kind of how that works. We do spend quite a bit of time lately uh, designing new stuff because we're trying to get our tarps out and our bug nets and uh, bridge hammock that we're working on, those sorts of things. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about the Kickstarter you guys ran. What's it like running a Kickstarter and getting that off the ground and running? Kickstarter is, I think this happens to most people who have a Kickstarter. It's really, really easy to underbid what you're trying to do, and that's what happens to us too. It's it's easy to look at it as like a really easy fixed price model. Like you think this is how much your hammock's going to cost. This is how much you're going to sell it for. And it's always mm-hmm. easily three times what you're expecting you'll need to like get it going. And we, we lost quite a bit of money on that. But luckily, it was basically just me at the time. So I don't know. Just kind of ended up being a wash for me. I mean, if you count my time in, I lost thousands of dollars. But who counts time anyways, right? <laughs> So it's all learning experience. Entrepreneurs definitely know, especially in the early years, because if we did, we'd be like, why the hell are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's awesome. So tell me something unique that no one knows about you, one of your products, or your business, and how does it really differentiate you guys from other brands? Um, I think what differentiates us, I guess the thing that is unique, and I guess it's not necessarily a secret, but... Um, it's the thing that we kind of tend to harp on. Our parachute fabric is actual parachute fabric. Every single hammock company out there is claiming to use parachute fabric. It's 99% of the time it's nylon taffeta. It's like a 1.7 or 1.9 ounce nylon taffeta, which is fine, but it's not parachute fabric. Ours is an actual PIA certified, um, it's PIAC 44379 is the exact certification number. Um, so it's actual parachute fabric that's tested, built here in America in uh, Connecticut. I can't remember. Um, it's the same exact fabric that's used in every single reserve parachute and most main parachutes that are flying in the sky, saving people's lives every day. That's the thing that we think sets us apart, and it's what makes our products able to pack so small and be so light, yet also be strong enough to carry the weight of people. That's really interesting. So why don't other brands use full parachute material? For the same reason that our prices are a little higher than other brands. Because okay. it's yeah, no, yeah, I suspected that was the reason. I just wanted to know for sure. Um, no, that's really cool. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it goes to show that, you know, what 
a brand says isn't always completely true. <laughs> so sure. Always I mean, to really you know, <laughs> get in and know um, the actual reality of the fact. While it might be partially, you know, made of parachute material and other brands, you know, knowing that you guys do completely, it's 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 good to know. Yeah, it's something that we're proud of and that we we aren't keen to let go of. I mean, and they're not like they're not lying to anyone. They're using well, the, right. you know, at the base level, it's nylon fabric, woven nylon fabric. So it is, you know, parachute fabric if you really boil it all the way down. But right. you don't get the same fifty pounds per square inch rating that we have on our fabrics, and you don't have the same quality control metrics that are required for ours. Anything that has slight variations is not going to make the cut for the certification, which is part of what we put our trust in. And we hope that right. our customers do too. For sure. So tell me, going through this entire process, you, do you have a mentor that has sort of guided you through starting Hummingbird? Uh, not not a single mentor, really. Um, my, my mom used to run uh, production facilities for digital. Uh, I think they were bought by HP at some point. Um, but okay. computer, which is funny because she's completely computer illiterate. But um, <laughs> uh, my dad, uh, he does a lot of. He's the vice pre or president of Classic Homes, a home builder in the Springs, Colorado Springs. So he's uh, very comfortable with finances and managing a lot of moving parts and kind of more big picture stuff. Um, I've got a couple uh, people that I consult with for marketing and accounting, that kind of stuff. So I, I get kind of a pool from a lot of different areas, but uh, I don't really have one single mentor that I would say, unfortunately. Ah, it's good to have multiple. You get multiple different perspectives on issues, which is usually great. It can be so yeah. helpful. That's cool. Yeah. So I read online that Hummingbird is a, is a family business. Is that is that true? It is, yeah. Uh, my mom does most of our uh, kind of larger sales stuff that's not e-commerce related stuff. Okay. So she should get out and talk to retailers and stuff like that, which is great because I'm pretty bad at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my dad helps a lot with uh, finances, and he also does quite a bit of our uh, kind of tinkering with the designs a little bit. When I don't have time, he kind of he's good at just sitting down and thinking about stuff long enough, and then he'll call me and run a thousand ideas past me and so my eyes <laughs> plays over. <laughs> and then my brother uh, tends to help with uh, extra stuff we need. He helps a little bit with marketing, uh, a little bit with um, in the beginning when I needed help with some of the more database-related web design stuff. That's what he's a computer scientist. I always want to say science major because that's what he was. But, um, and yeah, and then my sister's help a little bit with uh, some other production stuff. When we need a little bit of help, they'll do tree straps and they'll help wrap stuff. And yeah, pretty much a family business. That's awesome. That's really, that's great. And I'm sure also can be challenging <laughs> at the same <Yeah>. time. <laughs> Working with family like that. It's like any, any fights that go on at home, do they get carried over to work? <laughs> I feel like. No, not usually. But <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. So, is it strictly family, or do you got how many other people are in the organization, Hummingbird? Uh, officially, I'm the only one who takes regular paychecks from Hummingbird. So um, I guess officially it's just me. But uh, we also hire out um, a lot of private contractors for 
our production is handled by a place in Tennessee as of uh, this winter. And then we have an accounting uh, firm that we work with here, uh, well, where I am in Fort Collins, and a marketing uh, consultant in the Springs. So we kind of work with a few other places, but as far as the core business, it's it's really just me, but it's mostly my family as well. That's awesome. Uh, what kind of uh, product numbers do you guys do per year, or have you done so far? Uh, it's really hard to say because it keeps going up, thankfully. But right, um, good. And we and our metrics weren't as good. Uh, they're starting to get a little better, but we typically sell about. Um, I've actually not ran the math recently. It's usually somewhere in the range of a hammock and straps about every eight to twelve hours, something like that. Oh. Sometimes it's a little faster, sometimes it's a little less. Call it probably around, I would say fifteen hundred or two thousand, because that's a whole year average that I just gave you, and it it jumps quite a bit right about that, right about now actually when people start feeling the warm weather and wanting to go out right hike. The spring spring <laughs> season is typically when you're your peak, the peak of yeah. the year. Spring and then a little bit in the fall. Summer will be a little bit um, higher in general. Um, and then right. winter pops off and then it picks up usually right before Christmas. And then it goes completely flat from January to kind of the beginning of March. Just almost nothing. <laughs> Everybody's just cold and can't wait for it yeah. to not be cold, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, I totally get that. That's, yeah, as seasons of a business, man. <laughs> that's cool. Um, that's really awesome. So, uh, in regards to the business, what would you say? You know, you talk about how your your company is specifically focused on, or all your materials are sourced from the U.S. What would you say your commitment is to sustainable manufacturing? Um, this one was. I saw this question in um, sheet, and it was a little bit trickier for me because we're not uh, yet set up with any of these organizations, but. Uh, we are committed to making sure that everyone is happy and is working where they want to be working for manufacturing, which is part of the reason why we stay here in the United States. I actually did go to China four or five months ago just to see how that all works out there and whether or not it might work for us because um, there are some good companies out there, but we we have decided to stay here, which we're proud about. And uh, all of our materials are also made in the USA. So our fabric, our spectra, our buttons are now made by the machine sitting right next to me. Our thread <laughs> um, is also made in the USA. All of our stuff is military certified. So in order to be military certified, one of the requirements is that it's made in the USA. So we are uh, right. we're committed to keeping things here and keeping people working for rates that they're happy to work for for a long time. That's really awesome. So tell me, I, you, you, we talked about that you guys are doing, getting, selling a hammock every eight to twelve hours. What did you guys sort of do in the beginning to really, you know, grow Hummingbird and build that exposure to the point where you're getting, you know, a sale every eight to twelve hours? That is definitely the hard part and the the hardest part for me to put my finger on because I'm not that good at it yet, but. I'll, uh, I'll describe what happened to us, I guess. Um, really what got us going was the exposure that the Mega Hammock grabbed onto uh, right away. It kind of got picked okay. up by just about every gear and tech blog 
on the internet at some point. Um, so we got a lot of initial exposure from that, and we use that to drive um, reviews from blogs, things like we're doing right now, this kind of a giveaway thing, just more things to keep getting our name out there and getting people to hear about us, not necessarily trying to sell them something right away. We just want people to see us on a shelf and say, oh, I saw that at X location, just to right. have that name. And then once we started working on that, which is still what I spend a lot of my time doing, is trying to get more and more people just aware of us. Um, then sales started to roll in a little bit. And once they started to move a little bit, they started to pick up a little more speed. We started to get more reviews, more people saying that they liked it. Um, basically, just a lot of positive exposure and almost no, in fact, zero negative exposure that I'm aware of. And That's awesome. And it just kind of starts to slowly build. I'm, I'm not sure how you start that, really, if you don't have something happen <laughs> to you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think step one is making a quality product, which you guys obviously do. And that's that's clearly the hardest part. <laughs> a quality product <laughs> that people want. You know, yeah. Making sure that there's, there's an audience for what you're making. And obviously with, with academics, like there clearly is. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> That's really awesome. What would you say the hardest part about starting your business has been so far? Definitely, definitely getting production figured out and locked down. We've been through five or six different manufacturers at this point, just trying to find someone that we like working with, has a reasonable rate, is just out to you know run a clean, happy business just like we are and isn't always trying to undercut us and that kind of stuff. That's definitely the hardest part. And that's the most important part too, because you can't sell things you don't have, at least for the most part. Right. So definitely production has been the biggest challenge. I can totally understand that. Um, what would you say is the great, your greatest fear uh, in regards to Hummingbird and how do you manage it? Uh, being that we build load-bearing equipment, uh, my biggest fear is definitely that someone might get hurt using our products. Um, so we manage that fear and risk by just making sure that we, we use materials that are qualified and certified for what we want to use them for, that we maintain pretty strict quality control, and that we're carefully designing our products so that they're safe to use. Awesome. What advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business in action sports? And it comes right back to production is what I would advise. Make sure you've got your production locked down and you know that you can make X number of units for a week, for a month, for whatever works for your business, just make sure you can make them. Once you know you can make them and make them for a reasonable price and you're making money on top of that because you have to run a business, that's when you can start selling. For sure. That's great advice. Where do you guys see your business in the next year, five years, ten years? Uh, in the next year, we want to have our, our tarps, our bug nets, uh, additional hammocks like the bridge hammock and the long hammock. And I don't know anything else I can think of in the meantime, um, built <laughs> and uh, fleshed out and as well as just kind of continuing to refine what we have and get better documentation, better files in our open source, stuff like that. Just kind of continuing to tune and polish the company as a whole. And in five years, I would like to be building a little bit different gear, something more like along the lines of backpacks. Um, sleeping bags, which will come right along with underquilts. Uh, right. 
maybe some apparel, that kind of stuff. Like to maybe branch out just a little bit. That's awesome. Is this your full time job, or do you have another job outside of? This is my full time job. Uh, I just actually recently started with all of the uh, website design and web admin and hosting stuff I've been doing for Hummingbird. I have started a little bit of a side company that I'm calling Loidalt Design for uh, web design and web hosting. But that's a oh, pretty nice. new little thing that I'm just kind of playing around with in my meantime. Yeah, well, my business partner and I, when we first started Ready Yeti, our original, we originally an e-commerce platform that exclusively sold American-made gear um, and action sports. Oh. And, well, we, we designed and built websites on the side to fund <laughs> the, the business <laughs> for, like, the first, like, year and a half. Like, my partner uh, went to school for uh, computer science or whatever, so he would design them, and I would find people uh, that we could build sites for. So, like, we'd approach ski shops, and, like, most, it was mostly a- action sport-related um customers or whatever, but we, we started making pretty good money doing it. We're like, oh, maybe we should do this <laughs> instead of instead of the uh, e-commerce platform or whatever. But yeah, no, it's a great way to make side money, especially since it gives you the freedom to work when you when you when you want to yeah. and wherever you want to, which which is definitely definitely a great thing. There's so many bad websites out there that it's pretty oh, easy I to know. find work. I know. People have <laughs> no idea. No and it's honestly it is today's day and age with Squarespace and all the things that are out there. It blows my mind that people don't have good websites. Yeah, me too. But, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. It is It is what it is. Um, what, what did you go to school for? I went to CSU for about two years for fine art. Um, I wanted to be a concept artist and, like, kind of just an illustrator in general. And then I switched to the community college up here for about a half a year for business. And then Hummingbird became too much. So I just kind of dropped yeah. it entirely, started focusing just on this. That's awesome. I almost went to CSU. What year would, what year was, would you have graduated? Uh, 2015. Okay. So I would have been 13. So I would have been two years ahead of you. We might have known yeah. each other. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. Huh. Um, that's awesome, though. So what would you say is the best part about running Hummingbird? Uh, my favorite thing on a day-to-day basis is when I get to hear from people and they send me pictures of our hammocks in use. Nothing fails to put a bigger smile on my face than that. But uh, as far as what I do on a daily basis work-wise, uh, I just like, I like that I get to do a lot of different things. I like to kind of dabble in marketing, do a little web design, do a little bit of Counting sometimes, design products, customer service. I don't know, it's just nice to always be kind of switching jobs. It keeps right, my mind right. sharp, probably. It makes me feel more productive, too, because I never get in that kind of rut of I'm stuck doing this and I don't want to do it. If I ever get in that, I just jump and do something else for an hour. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> awesome. I agree completely. <laughs> doing the same thing over and over again for uh, for weeks or months or years, I, I couldn't ever do it. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's skydiving. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I still have to do it. I still got to jump out of a plane. <laughs> you should. Uh, I'm hoping a few of my friends will just push me, <laughs> and then I'll end up doing it. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm hoping to do it. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if I if I follow through. Um, that's awesome. So, if people want to learn more about you and Hummingbird, what what's the best place for them to do that? Uh, hummingbirdhammocks.com is definitely the best place, which is all one word, 
And uh, just like you'd think, hummingbirdhammocks.com. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us. You have an awesome story, and I think our listeners will definitely find some value in this. And if, if for anyone who's listening, if you guys haven't already done so, you can enter in spring season giveaway to win one of two hammocks that are being given away. So, yeah, if you haven't, you can head over to ReadyEddy.com and enter to win. And with that, um, thanks, Chris. Really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Ready Eddie podcast listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, then I would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie podcast. I'll catch you next week.